What it do, golf fans? Welcome back to the Turn Dogs Golf Podcast. This is Liam. Alongside me is Jack. It was another great week in golf. We uh, we had Adam Svensson. Another first-time winner. It's like, what is it, eight in the last 11? Is that what they showed? Yeah, eight in the last 11. It was surpri- I'm surprised that he hasn't won yet, because I feel like I've heard his name on tops of leaderboards in the past. Um, but I know that he usually finds some magical way to finish in second place. He's done that quite frequently in, uh, on the PGA Tour, so good win for him. Jack, what did you think of the week? Yeah, it was awesome. I, was, I couldn't take my eyes off it. Honestly, you know, I love this event. Um, Spencer, especially starting 73, they had two 64s and a 62. That is remarkable. Um, Cole Hammer coming out. Sahith obviously contending. Um, it felt like a lot of my guys were contending, so that was great to watch too, selfishly. But then there were a couple guys that, I mean, I've heard one or two times in my life. I think I texted you. I'm like, you know, um, who is it? I'm trying to think of his name off top. I'm like, I, Paul Haley II. Yep. He yeah, was, was confused. up there at one point. And I was like, honestly, I've never heard of him. And I, I watch Corn Ferry. I'll watch the Asian tour at three in the morning sometimes. Like, I, I've never seen that guy. So good for him. Um, I think he finished top 30, if I remember. Yeah, he did well. Um, there was a few guys that were in it, in it close for me. A few of my personal references because of the fact that I, you know, I had one as a winner's pick. I had a few others high up there on the board. But it was an overall, it was an interesting week in terms of the amount of guys that made the cut. And then some of the big names that missed the cut, um, Matthew Neesmith, Tom Hoagie, Jason Day. I'm sure you have a list like 15 long that you can think of as well, Jack. But there were a lot of big name hitters that just fizzled out. In Jack's instance, um, Mackenzie Hughes. Brutal. Uh, that, was a, that was a tough one for him as well. Uh, I mean, Davis Riley made the cut, but was it really pretty? No, not Seth really. Straka, Sad. too. I mean, there was big, you know, like even um... – Aaron Rye, who was just like dominant, like you know, pretty much contended all of last week. Webb Simpson, who has probably played better here than anyone in history. Yeah. Um, he missed you know, the cut, yeah. He was like four under through the first day. I didn't, I just assumed he made it. I didn't even 74 look on Friday. Zach oh. Johnson missed it too. Yep, um, you know, we can go on forever. There, it, it was a weird, I think we've said that like 40 times. It's a weird week, but. Honestly, again, maybe I'm biased because I love this event. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a great week. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. I did not get to see the most golf this week in the world. Um, I was doing a lot of traveling, running around. So, unfortunately, I only got to see a little bit of a little bit of it on the plane. You know, trying on the to, weekend. Trying, trying to watch it on that little four-inch phone screen sometimes doesn't always give you the best viewing experience. That's for sure. Especially when NBC's doing their playing through it. Yeah, and then you got playthroughs, so the four-inch screen turns into a two-inch screen, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. Um, all right, well, let me run into some of these leaders for the week real fast. Um, driving distance leaders, uh, Joseph Bramlett was at 302.7. Um, again, not a lot of guys had driver on the bag for every hole, so maybe Joseph Bramlett just kind of jacked it out there every hole, and that's the reason why he won it. Um, driving accuracy leader was Andrew Landry at 92.9%. Uh, repeat that? Driving accuracy was at 92.9%. Oh, my goodness yeah it was absurd he had a ridiculous driving accuracy but i'm sure his approach game was awful uh because he did not even finish top 10 
I was gonna say I don't I don't remember seeing his name pop up there. So I didn't I didn't either. Uh Greens and Regulation, it was Kevin Streelman. Jack and I mentioned that for a second before the before the podcast started that he has these random weeks where he just decides he's gonna start all of a sudden becoming a great golfer again. I would not rely on this metric of him finishing first in Greens and Regulation for the future. Uh Bogey Avoidance, Sahith Gala, he had a really good week in terms of um, avoiding bogeys. I think he did have a double in there, which is unfortunate. But overall, I think he only had one or two bogeys on the week. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right. Do we want to get into lineups or do you have any other final thoughts on the RSM? Yeah, I just want to, you know, say a lot of the college guys, you know, um, Cole Hammer came out and led first round leader. Oh, yeah. Um, I think as we get farther into the year, the guys that we talked about, you know, at the beginning or you know, we highlighted, for example, a lot of these corn fairy guys or PGA Tour U graduates. I think their names will start to become a little more popular throughout. And I think this is just one example. You know, he's he missed a ton of cuts and now he's in the um, uh, Sony, not Sony. Yeah, Sony Open. Um, he's coming up that because of his qualifying in top 10. So good for him. Good for him. I love seeing the young guys play well. So guys like, again, like Cole Hammer may always make it fun because there's a new face on tour that people can root for. Yeah, for sure. But other than that, I am definitely getting ready to go recapping because Jack had a good week. Let's do it. Talk to me. What do we got? Yeah, um, both lineups, DraftKings and FanDuel, were both winners in DFS and in single entry. And that's all because even though I had like two or three missed cuts, honestly, with um, Mackenzie Hughes and Hardy, I had like first, second, third, third, fifth and like the remaining four guys. So those <laughs> points will just add up quickly. Yeah, I mean, you had a you had a good week. You did a little better than me on DraftKings. Unfortunately, I did not make the money on DraftKings. Um, the tops of my DraftKings lineup really disappointed me. Um, if it was just the bottom of my lineups, I'd be doing better. For whatever reason, when I wrote this down, I have different names in my actual lineup than I do in on here. I don't know if I switched it around or what it was. I think I liked jj spawn a little bit more so i made a last second move it worked out um tom hoagie was 9800 he missed the cut jason day was 9400 he missed the cut matthew neesmith he was 9000 he missed the cut again those guys accounted for a majority of my money and they all missed the cut and they were all high values horrifically missed the cut. uh the third the fourth guy I had was jj spawn he was 7800 he finished t15 then i had adam svensson at 7,300 or 7,200, he was the winner. And then I had Ryan Armour who finished T46. So the uh, the man with all the accuracy off the tee ended up doing quite well for me in T46. I, he didn't play too great on, uh, I think on Friday, but it worked yeah, out hey. for, in terms of uh, his total for the week. Anytime you can get a winner snuck in a lineup, that's pretty good. Well, I, didn't, I still didn't cash. I finished 11th. And all of my double loves. So <laughs> top 10 win money. And because my top three guys all missed a cut and played bad, I missed cash by one spot. Jeez. Brutal. So that's, that's your story. That's just like, if anything was to be called a Liam sequence of events, that's it. Yeah. You, hey, pick pick a winner on your drafting lineup and still don't win money. It's, it's, it's hard to do, by the way. If you Brutal. hit winners and don't win money, it's impressive. Yeah. Winner and, and a top 15. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, let's. Uh, what you got for FanDuel? What are we looking? Yeah, same thing. Winner in um, single entry and double ups. Everything was really good about it. You know, Putnam, Clark, Rogers, and Montgomery all were top twenty. Um, so it all just 
everything came to fruition. So I loved it. I was getting money. So that's all that matters. There you go. Yeah, you you had good you had good lineups this week. Uh, and FanDuel, my double ups won, and then my single entries, I was just outside the money. Um, it's whatever. Uh, again, I started with Jason Day at 11-3, missed the cut. Tom Hoagie at 11-1, he missed the cut. Taylor Montgomery, again, another T-15. Uh, I had Patrick Rogers, he was T-15. Uh, ben Griffin was T-29, and then Chris Goddard was T-35. Again, Chris Goddard up. Another guy who was low priced that I that ended up paying really well for me. If I just pick six guys, I guess now that are low priced, I'm gonna have six dudes. Make <laughs> but for whatever reason, I can't seem to pick the most obvious guys at the top of all the lineups. Yeah, I, I feel like if we go through, we we will sense a pattern of your bottom three guys just killing it. Yeah, I, if anybody's listening, um, maybe just don't follow my 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 top guys. Follow the guys on the bottom. My 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 wild card. Flyer picks the last like three four weeks have all made the cut and played decent. Like we're so, not talking more of the story. Model Jack's top three, model Liam's bottom three, and that's a perfect lineup. There you go, exactly. That's awesome. So, um, I know your fan duel also killed that you won some money there. Um, I definitely want to jump into bets because we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Let's do it. Yeah, you had like eight or nine bets at this point. You kept ramping up the amount. Yeah, um, I had seven total. Um, Brian Harmon, top 20, that smacked. He was tied for second, um, plus 110. Joel Damon, top 40, minus 125. Fifth, that was a win. Patrick Rogers, top 40, was minus 120, finished 10th. Uh, big win there. Mackenzie Hughes, he lost in the cut. Two double bogeys in a round will do that to you. Um, lost that one alongside Nick Hardy. Then I got Wyndham Clark, top 40 at minus 105 at top 10. That was a win. And then Alex Smalley, plus 105 for top 40, finished fifth. So it sounds like I should have just done top 10 bets for all my <laughs> guys. Up 2.75 units for the week, up 18.1 so far this year. Yeah, you're cruising it. You're back up. This is the whole uh, – this is the part of the season where Jack all of a sudden ends up 50 units up and everybody's like, what happened? But, like, he has these kind of weeks. Uh one thing I'll point out is Jack and I did do a little side. <laughs> I was trying not to say that. <laughs> we did a little friendly bet. He had Mackenzie Hughes. I had Scott Stallings. Uh, Hughes missed the cut. Scott Stallings played butt ugly on Sunday, but it didn't matter because he did make the cut on Friday. So friendly wager. I win one. I'm sure you've won ones in the past. You'll win ones in the future, but I, I like taking that round off you. Um, I had three bets. First one was uh, J.J. Spawn, top 40 at minus 135. That was a win. He was T15. Um, I had Scott Stallings, T40 at minus 110. Again, he shot 73 on Sunday. If he shoots even par, he gets top 40. So that's an unfortunate Easily. loss. Uh, my third bet is a little I, – I, I don't know how the technicality is going to work on all this, but I had David Lipsky at top 40. He actually withdrew. Um, like, he didn't – I think he finished uh, – he either which route after 18 or on 18. So it was a little weird. I'm going to take the loss just to keep it 125,000% honest with you guys. Uh, potentially, if you want to get really fancy, I could I could zero out that bet. But I'm going to take it as a loss. Um, I lost 1.25 units that week. I'm down 7.5. Uh, I'm not doing too hot on bets. I need, I need a nice 3 for 3 week to kind of boost me back up a little bit, but we'll get there. Yeah, honestly, it takes time. We've had, and I know everybody listens, you'd be like, well, what's going on? For the record, these have been lower tier, more, and I, I don't mean to say gimmicky weeks, but they have been gimmicky weeks. Um, for example, you know, if you take a look at what happened in the DP World Tour, 
Rom, Rory, Fitzpatrick, um, Lowry, all, all these guys are just killing it over there. So that was the big field. Um, you know, there's so much going on, but once we hit January, I'm, I'm predicting units coming out of the, we can't print units faster. I, I yeah, I think the challenge right now is that I'm that I'm betting. I feel like I'm betting on lesser talent. Once we give once we get the talent to match our to match our feelings, then it'll hopefully all even out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, last year I finished right around even. Jack finished right around like fifty units up. So we just gotta. Yeah, we, it'll we come. Just gotta work on that. Yeah, I mean, it all started, you know, especially our solo betting in Sony when you know, Matsuyama was starting to take over. So that helped us, but exactly, it'll take time. And then, you know, jumping into winners, if we minus out our both missed cuts, <laughs> you know, I had Mackenzie Hughes miscut. You had Matthew Neesmith miscut. I had Wyndham Clark at tied for 10th and you had Joel Damon at top five. That's awesome. We take if, that. If, if you've got, if you pick Joel Damon as your winner's pick this week in like any of these tournaments on the field, you are flipping Happy. ecstatic. I mean, you are you are fist pumping it. Cause I don't know where else you're taking Joel Dahman and being like, yeah, top five. Thank you. I'm out. So you're happy to be top five. And in both instances, Wyndham Clark and Joel Dahman, you're not really sad that you lost them at this field. Um, you got plenty of higher tier action to use at other courses. So yeah. hopefully you followed one of those two guys and not the other ones. 100%. Um, and then we'll jump right into wild cards really quickly. Unfortunately, since we didn't bet plus 400s, they were all losses, Yep. unfortunately. So I had Nick Hardy top 20. That was an L with a miscut. And I had Harris English top 20 at plus 275. He finished 29th. It looked close for a majority of it. Yeah, he was close. He, he definitely had a chance. That was the best chance of the four of us for the yeah. win. Um, I had Davis Riley top 20 at plus 250. He finished 46th. It wasn't pretty. Um, it was just kind of middling. And then Jack's guy, Mackenzie Hughes, I had him as a wild pick just in case he, you know, pulled something out of his ass and finished like top five. Um, that was plus 270. And of course he missed a cut. Yep. And then we just had a group um, just because playoffs have been so dramatic. Uh, we threw just a little bit of coinage on there being a playoff at plus 300. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. I think the odds for a two shot victory were like in the plus 750. So note to self, but honestly, all around good week. Um, Next couple of weeks here are going to be a little bit gimmicky, so bear with us. We're probably going to, you know, especially me, I'm pretty much going to have tiger as a cuss word for how much it's like, you know, you ever see those office videos where they have a, a swear jar? I'm going to have a tiger jar coming up these next couple of weeks here. Throw, throw a quarter in every time you mention his name. Just make, make it count up the tallies. Yeah, absolutely. Vacation soon. Yeah, so, you know, before we get into it, um, I just want to talk about, you know, especially once we're transitioning from Joel Damon talking about here, if you don't follow our social media, please do. Um, for example, um, Twitter, we're really starting to focus a lot on Twitter at Turn Dogs Pod. So go ahead and follow me there. I work remote with a phone and a computer with notifications on. I'm tweeting and looking at stuff all day. This actual episode is actually brought to us by someone who tweeted at us. So what we're going to talk about today and really break down is a lot of what we do for DFS lineups and for sportsbook bets. So for example, how we might look at a Joel Damon and why he was so successful and why we picked him to be in lineups and bets as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's great to see that we are getting a little bit of social media feedback. Hopefully Elon can keep Twitter rolling. Uh, Cause right now it's uh, it's a little weary, but that is a spot to find us. If for whatever reason, Twitter is, uh, is not your cup of tea. We are on Instagram as well. 
and uh, Facebook and Facebook. So we have the, the whole link tree. You can follow us on any of those, whatever pro- platform you use most turn dogs golf pod. All right. So that that's where to follow us on Instagram. If Twitter for whatever reason is not your cup of tea. 100%. And I just made the Facebook and Instagram. So it's going to look like it has one follower, which is accurate because we just created it. But if you want immediate stuff, Twitter, we both have notifications on. Yep. So we'll get back to you on that. And we're active. You know, it's, it's fun to just interact with a like whole golf community. Um, go tag Elon. We'd love him on the pod. Why not? <laughs> uh, there you go. That's the way to do it. Awesome. So really quickly, um, we're going to break it down probably a couple minutes here and there. When you look at value, which is what we're really going to focus on today, let's start with daily fantasy sports and lineups. You know, as we look, especially in the bottom half of guys, which I think is ironically where you're really dominating. Yeah. What do you look at in terms of, hey, this guy's 7,500. Why am I taking him over another guy at 7,500? So often when I'm scrolling through those, I, I the first thing I do when we get into a new course is I want to see what somebody or what somebody that does well on that course does. Usually when you're looking it over, the key to that course is that there's going to be a lot of approach play, or maybe the greens are very technical, or you have to hit the ball in the fairway off the tee. So that the first thing I do when we get a new course each week is I want to see, okay, what do you have to do to be successful on this course? Then I, I go through the PGA Tour website, and I, I scan through to see where people's ranks are on the PGA Tour within that field. So, so I've joked about it like probably three or four times now. Ryan Armour is an elite accuracy off the tee guy. So at the RSM, where accuracy off the tee was incredibly important, I was able to sit there and see, okay, well, Ryan Armour is 6,800 in this field. And if he's going to make the cut at 6,800 and be my worst guy, that's a good baseline to start at. Yeah, and I think it's really important what you said as well. And I take a look at this a ton. Now, especially Ryan Armour, majority of the time he's going to be your sixth guy maybe fifth if you go real top heavy if you get a cut in your fifth and sixth guy i think that's tremendous in terms of looking at value um, especially for me you know if you take a look at a guy that's 11k on DraftKings, if he makes the cut on the number i'm not going to be happy but if ryan armor who's my sixth guy makes the cut i'm ecstatic it's it's more so a question of how you want to do it and it is all personal preference um i usually i grab one guy at the top that I like, or one guy on the top few few spots that I think is going to be really good that week. I take my one flyer on the bottom and then I kind of gauge the rest of my money and, and fill in the spots where I need with other golfers that also fit that mold. Yeah. Um, like again, Chris Goddard was another good example this time, this past week, he has good driving distance. He has decent accuracy and he's got solid irons. So he put a lot of those metrics. The only reason he was lower priced, was because he had not played a bunch so far in this season. So me knowing that he was he had those metrics to fit well on a course, the only the only challenge that the betters saw was that was that he wasn't playing very often. I knew that he would be a lower price and I think he could still sneak in. Sure enough, he finished what T thirty five. Yeah, which we're so taking. Yeah, which you take any time as your sixth guy. Yeah. So I think well, you make fantastic points, especially you know, looking at what a player might have strength going into it you know, looking at what value you might get for your money as well. Uh, I know for me personally, I look a ton at not only the price, like you said, because, you know, in DraftKings, my highest guy was Joel Damon at 9,200. 
But, you know, Andrew Putnam was 7,900. He finished top 10. Wyndham Clark, top 10. You know, a lot of these guys, you have to look at the tournaments prior. Um, so it's not like, you know, I took a look. And, you know, of course, Mackenzie Hughes, he had top 25s the entire year and missed the cut. It's going to happen. But if you take a look at his prior four events and he's finishing top 25, more likely than not, at his price at 8,600, the likelihood that he performs to that would be successful. Obviously, there are going to be weeks that he doesn't, but that's what I look at. When in doubt, I, I, the wording I'll use for that is recent history. Um, when looking at golfers, if you are struggling to come up with maybe a grasp, like in my instance, I talked about having a course, something within the course that they, that they do well. If the course is just kind of generic, or if you don't really have anybody where you're like, Ooh, I don't love anybody in this individual metric sitting there and having somebody who it's like, okay, well, this guy's been top 20, three of the last four weeks, generally speaking, that's a little bit better of a concept than obviously picking the guy who, who goes, you know, miscut, miscut, T5, miscut, 45th. Yeah. Um, there's just not a lot of value there in terms of hope. They're more likely going to miss the cut again as opposed to giving you that streak week, uh, yeah. which is where the risk starts to get involved. And I think 100% just what you said, especially if we take a look at, you know, for example, your guy, J.J. Spawn. Yeah. If you take a look at his last performances, he's hit, and we take, I'm talking about bets and inside of DFS right now, but, his top 40 finish, which at his price point would be fantastic. He's hit it three out of his last five events this year. So you take a look at the odds at 60% of the time he's inside top 40 and his price. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. He was minus uh, 135 for top 40. So he was, for a bets, sli- yeah. he was a slight favorite in terms of bets. Um, in terms of lineups, let me look for a second. Sorry, guys. Uh, he was 7,800. So for 7,800, you're getting a 60% chance he's getting top 40. I mean, that's crucial for a fourth, fifth, or sixth guy. Yeah, he was the fourth guy in my uh, in, in my in my DraftKings lineup. And you're telling me for a fourth guy, I'm going to get somebody get fairly likely to finish top 40. Yeah, and then we'll take that. on the same note, because I definitely want to talk about a lot of the top-tier guys, because I know I've had people listen to it that I know personally go, why do you only spend two minutes on the top seven guys? And the reality is 80 80- percent of the time, 75, 80% of the time, they're not performing to the level their cost is. And by that, I mean, if you're spending 11,500 on a guy, he should almost guarantee finish top 15 to make that up. Yes. The, the, the other challenge too, with these top eight guys is often uh, people have their favorites. I mean, when you're, when you're picking between eight guys, people generally know who they like to bet. Yeah. Um, also the other challenge is, is in the top five to 10, you're usually splitting hairs to determine who you like. It's often very minute things that you're trying to determine between in order to pick your guy. Um, when in reality, there could be multiple good options in that range. Whereas when you're going to 7,200, 6,800, 7,500, you're, you're, you're talking the difference between a guy that finishes t30 versus 145th i mean that's that's the potentially like 80 90 points worth of value on um like a a dfs lineup or or winning or losing a bet if he's 100 yeah and i think also too there's a reason why those guys are at the top five six spots is because again majority of the time they're going to finish in that top 20 we'll even call it majority of the time 
but you're also sacrificing. Like you said, you have to go from an 11,000 to a 6,500 and then try to work your way in the middle versus which we like to focus on is that nine and eight K range or even 10 where there's killers in there that you're not sacrificing 2,500, hundred dollars, you know, and then having to go to a, you know, I'm going to use him as an example, even though he worked as Ryan armor, your next guy might've been Ben Griffin. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the last thing I'll mention about, about picking for lineups and things like that is you can go through um, course history. So on the PGA tour, there are a lot of courses that where this is not the first time they're playing an event at this field. I'm going to say directly off of the rip, going for course history is an extremely volatile way of playing DFS and bets. It is not always a surefire way to do it. It is often the most risk adverse. Um, in the instance of this past week at the RSM, Webb Simpson was a highly recommended pick based on course history. He had played really, really well at this at this course in the past. The challenge with Webb Simpson, though, is that three of his last five tournaments, he had also missed a cut in terms of in terms of the last like five tournaments he's played this year. Yeah. Now at this event, he plays well, but in in the recent form, he's played awful. So if you're following just course history alone, it's a lot more volatile to bet and to put in DFS lineups, which is why I've I've done it, and it's risky if it works for you because you look really really smart. But I mean, you got to have some cojones and be able to really commit to stick, it, stick your foot down, and be like, "This is going to work." Otherwise, you're just you're just gonna look butt ugly on the back. Yeah, end. that's why I think if you take a look at a lot of these staple tournaments, so you know. Tournament of Champions is always going to be at Kapalua. Masters is always at Augusta. There's going to be events where you could really take a look at course history year to year to year. Yep. But I think if you're taking a look at that, also go if you're doing DFS, DraftKings, FanDuel, whatever you use, just click the player. You can see his last five, six, seven, eight events. Just go through and take a look at the chart. It takes 30 seconds to do, and you could really compare and then dial in your lineup like that. I think more so if you want to use course history, use it and as a bonus addition to what you're already betting on. Not 100% if if, of. Yeah, if they're playing good and you want to look at recent form, look at recent form. And then if they've also played well at this tournament in the past and they have the recent form, then obviously you put, you're like, okay, they're playing well and they've played well at this course in the past. Like I'm I'm 100% putting my money on this because I think they're going to do well. Yeah, that's, just because like you take a look at Webb Simpson, like you talked about, um, I think we highlighted Matthew Neesmith. Yep. He's played here three times with an average placement of 19th but he's also had great form. So it's unfortunately not a perfect system. Otherwise it wouldn't be called gambling. Yes. Um, but it's, it's tips like that, that we use to kind of calculate what we're going to, because it's not like we're blindly going on DraftKings and going, no, oh, he's 8,300. Let's just give him a chance. You know, there's, there's some metrics that goes into it. I don't know if you want to just trigger right over to bets. Um, I can talk oh. a little bit more about what, you know, I specifically look at is number one is odds. hundred percent. Number one, if you take a look at, um, Brian Harmon, for example, um, or even Tom Hoagie, his odds for top 40 were ridiculously ridiculous. He missed the cut. But then you take a look at um, Joel Damon. He's arguably played as good as anyone outside of maybe Seamus Power this year, yep. um, just in terms of consistency. And he was minus 125 for top 40. Now, could we have confidently bet him top 20 or even top 30 on, you know, a FanDuel because they offer that? 100%. 
But if we're taking a look at minus 125, we're getting 0.8 units back on, on investment. That's something that I look for because I want to make as much money as possible with the lowest risk possible at the same time. Yeah, when, when, when Jack and I look at bets specifically for the podcast, I'm going to start off by saying usually we don't pick lines that are lower than like minus 150. Um, that's generally a rule of thumb. I mean, you can bet them if you want on your own person, but generally speaking, we sit there and understand that those are all kind of already favorites or, or you're risking a lot to gain a little. Yeah. Or it's a, or it's a heavy investment for a very little outcome. Um, so we generally stay below that minus 150, closer to the pluses. Um, we, we also tend to not be above 200 very often unless you just got jack cojones and you bet a plus 1300 as a unit yeah now now jack is jack will do that a couple times a year where he'll he'll put in like a plus 1300 or he'll put in like a big bet and and don't get me wrong he's hit on him i mean he he hit on the one with brian Harmon to go bogey free round one and and he looks like a genius for it but he also doesn't do that every week no um so when he goes through it, he tries to re- stay relatively between that minus 150 and that plus 200. That's yeah. really what we're looking for. 100%. And if I bet all plus 1300s, the odds that we hit them are extremely low. So like I'm up point or excuse me, 18.1 units up on the year. Like I have the ability to try and flex one of those. But at the same time, my greatest odds were minus 125 and my lowest odds were plus 110 throughout the entire tournament. So I'm trying to stay between those lines of, I don't want to bet a plus 250 unless I'm really confident. Yeah. Uh, but I also don't want to bet a minus 250 because the risk reward isn't there. But on the same level, past performance is the best indication of where my bets are going. You know, for example, Joel Damon, he's coming in as hot. Top 40, his odds were really good. So I took it. Yeah. Brian Harmon, do I think he was going to get top 40? Heck yeah. Do I think he's going to get top 20? Absolutely really good yeah i mean you mentioned spawn as well spawn is the perfect example of that three for five on top 40s i bet him top 40 he was minus 135 um and he and he squeezed through like t15 no problem um those are bets where again you're not winning 40 bucks per bet but betting has got to be something where it's a slow it's a slow grind on bets because you're not going to unfortunately win it all at once I mean, right now I'm right now I'm down money. And if I got mental, I could sit here and be like, I'm going to bet these plus one thousands and hopes and hopes that I can gain all my money back right now. But I'm I'm also understanding personally that this is something where I have to kind of slowly work my way on small bets and get myself back to that even number. It's not something that's going to be an overnight just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go bet Chris Goddard up to be top thirty five. For like plus 300 Cole hammer first round leader yeah it's just it's yeah. not gonna happen so um i think you know a lot of the moral of the story is we take a look at a lot of past performance especially in the i call it the four to five weeks coming up obviously you know for example scott stallings only played two or three events yep um you know i'm gonna keep using joel damon as example he played four or five events already this year and he's looked good in four or five events so to see he's been playing good he's been doing it Um, especially I always take a look, for example, you know, JJ spawn, I went his odds minus 135 for top 40. Then I go back and I go, well, I, you know, as a golfer myself and as a super nerd, I'm like, I like JJ spawn. I like his game for the course. I like his game for X, 
Let me go ahead and take a look. I click his player profile in DraftKings. I see he's hit top 43 to five times, which is now four for six. I think that's a positive bet. 60% of the time it's hitting. Honestly, that's a good metric. And it's just all comes down to the end of the day, being smart about your money. Because like you said, we could throw plus 1800s out there all day. The reality is they're not going to hit. Um, you know, everybody wants to build their mansion on day one. Um, 18.1 units up for me is I'm honestly over the roof, just happy. But at the same time, I've had weeks where I've lost. So it's not, don't go out and put all your money in one pot, you know, yeah. make sure you distribute it, you know, evenly. Cause it is gambling. Yes. I, I think, I think DFS is a little more straightforward for us than, than, uh, or is, little, bets is are a little, no, 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 no. I, my bad. I misworded that. I think bets for us are a little bit more straightforward than daily fantasy. Um, when Jack and I work through our daily fantasy, we work through probably two or three different metrics. I mean, I've, I've done like five or six sometimes, depending on the week, depending on what event is happening. Um, whereas bets, we look more so on recent history. Occasionally, I'll throw in a guy that's got course history. Um, like I threw like I, I threw in Neesmith, I think, this week. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we stick with recent history, and we try and really look and see who's been playing well. Um, in the future, I might I might look a little bit more towards what guys have in terms of I'm throwing guys in the bottom of the lineups that I know are good at driving accuracy or driving distance. I might look a little bit more on that in terms of courses. But again, that's still a little bit volatile to get top 40 because you can do that and be good at that three days. But if you shoot 76 every time on Sunday because you're still not good at Aaron Rice. At, at, yeah, Aaron Rice is a prime example. He's good. He's good at a few things. But if you still struggle one day and you shoot a 75 or 76, finishing T55 doesn't really win you any money on on that, even though he's good at one of those few yeah. metrics. You know, like we talked about, he hit like 93% of greens at one tournament and finished outside top 40. Yes. So it's it does play a role. We do watch those things for patterns, but I think it's not all or nothing. Um, so I hope that little segment, I know it hopefully broke it down to what you guys were looking for. Obviously, I hope that you take this information and recognize patterns as we're going through future weeks for bets and DFS. Um, and if you want us to break it down even more technical, we are more than happy to. Uh, we just have a lot of other things we want to talk about. We could do maybe a little mini episode on that if you guys want us to break down anymore, um, just to really kind of get into the art behind it and maybe how you want to get started on it if you've always been curious on how it works. Yeah. Um, but, but just let us know, message us on Twitter or something like that. If that's something that you're maybe looking to looking for. All right. And up next, this is a little bit more Jack's cup of tea per se. So I'm going to kind of let him run the show. Cause this is non PGA specific related. And he, this is the stuff that he can kind of geek out on. Uh, so take it away, Jack. What do we got? Yeah. So I just quickly wanted to shout out. I know PGA tour is happening. That's what we mainly cover, but if you watch the DP world tour event, that was ridiculous. Their tour championship, um, biggest event that they have, Road to Dubai, the whole thing. John Rahm, this is why they changed the FedEx, because John Rahm won a record fifth series Rolex title. He won the whole championship. However, Rory McIlroy is now the FedEx Cup champion and the DP two World Tour number one. So he won the overall concept. Now, I just got to quickly read out. I think... Rory McIlroy should have been the player of the year. He has 25 starts in the last 13 months, 22 top 25s, 17 top 10s, 13 top fives, 
four wins and two season titles being the FedEx Cup and the DP World Tour Championship. He is playing ridiculous, but also in the same facet, you know, would you argue that John Rahm in air quotations has had an off year? He has three I, wins. Yeah, I'm. It, I, part of me says yes, but then I look back at his numbers and I'm like, yeah, but he's playing so well, it doesn't even matter. Like for him in off years, only three wins is kind yeah. of ridiculous. It's crazy. And I just, I wanted to point that out because these guys are going to pop up in a month and a half. And, you know, we haven't had the chance to bet on outside of maybe one event, you know, Rory, Seamus Lowry, um, Scotty Scheffler, you know, all these guys that are coming out now. It's going to be awesome to bet on this where we're really going to capitalize. Uh, but I just want to say Rory has said he feels like he's playing the best golf of his life. So incoming bets are afloat. Um, so I just wanted to congratulate him. As I know, this information will become prevalent in about a month. Yeah, that, I mean, it's it's one of those things where right now my mindset is so on, on locked on to the PGA Tour that you don't even realize the fact that these guys are still crushing it everywhere else. Uh, but it's just something to kind of keep an eye on for once all the big tournaments come around. They are still winning. They're doing just fine on the uh, on the DP World Tour. So keep an yeah, eye out for them. And unless you have insomnia like me, you probably only saw the last like two holes of that. But um, going back to PGA Tour, because this is a way, way bigger topic, you know, my personal opinion, we are about to see Tiger Woods for three weekends in a row. Think about that. Uh, I'm thinking about how you got to add a quarter to your, uh, to your jar. Cause you just said his name. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it is going to be unreal. Um, he's playing in the hero, the PNC championship, which is the father son, um, where I think they've expanded it to parent child. Um, and then also the match with Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to be a busy couple of weeks here for tiger. Uh, keep an eye out for him. I mean, watch it while you can. Again, this is Tiger in, in, in not his last like season or anything. His last like two, but this is not going to be the deal for the next like 10, 15 years. Like we're not, we're not getting Tiger in for the long haul. So, but we still have events that he's playing in, and he's going to be playing. I mean, to at least make the cut and be respectful. Like he's not going to play in these events to just show up and finish last place. Uh, so keep an eye out for him, and if he's playing well, I mean, please watch because yeah. we don't we don't know how many times of this we're going to have. Left. Listen, I think it really came into play when he was going up the bridge on 18 at St Andrews. Yep. I I was standing up like gripping everything I physically could. I'm like, if he stops on that bridge, it's over. And he cruised it, and I can't tell you the sense <laughs> of relief. But what I think is exactly what you had said. We're not seeing Tiger Woods. 25 years old 35 years old yeah. fist bumping high energy however in my opinion last year was about him doing it i did it i played my majors i hit 150th i could have passed out from pain at any point now he has an entire i'm not going to call it a entire year of recovery because it couldn't have been with everything that happened but he knows what he's getting into He's had the ability to build up the muscles, build up the muscle memory, um, all the rehab. He's going back into a routine now where I don't think he had it. So I think this year, he this is probably, in my opinion, going to be his last three-quarter season where we might see eight to ten events. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also think that this is potentially 
the the last year where he's really going to be. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. I think this is the last year potentially he could be contending in majors. I don't think he's going to be. I think he'll still go back. I think he's yep. going to be in majors the next like 20 years or as long as he chooses to be. Um, I don't know how many years he's going to be contending to win. Yeah, um, it's and it's I hard hate saying that because I because I want him to contend. I want him to play well. But I also have to stay realistic in my own head that he's not going to unfortunately be invisible like this forever. Yeah. And I think the only thing that really keeps me going is I think he knows it. Um, yeah. You know, the talent in this game is just unbelievable right now. You talk about Callum Terran missed like three out of his last five cuts. Yep. And um, now he's tied for second. Um, Cole Hammer missed like the last five cuts. He's tied for fifth and first round leader. The talent is crazy. However, I think Tiger has adapted his game a lot to where he knows he can't go out and do a front leg over the hind leg finish. You know, I think he's really focusing on, I need to hit this 295, even though he's averaging like 315, which is stupid. In the fairway, in a spot, I need to get it to the middle to the green or closer than that. um, And I need to make my birdies. I think he's trying to do 2015 Jordan Spieth that's what I'm imagining for the rest of 2022. Yeah, and I think if, I think if he does that, he's gonna be he's gonna be competitive, and that's really all we can hope for out of him at this point. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see him and Charlie at the uh, parent child. I think the the dream scenario would be that that Tiger plays long enough to play in an event with his kid. Yeah. Um, I, that is not me to saying that Charlie has to go pro. If Charlie wants to go do a thousand other things, then like. Let's not pressure the kid into going pro, please. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to do that to him. But if he decides to play on the PGA Tour, it would be freaking awesome to see Charlie and Tiger playing in the same tournament. Now, yeah. I know it's been done before. I think like Davis, uh, Davis Love, and somebody, one of the Loves or one of the one of the father son duos played in, the, or maybe brothers, Haas, Haas, the Haas brothers, um. They they've played in the tournament, but again, that's that's Bill Haas, and it's not the same style as Tiger and, and his kid potentially playing. That. Yeah. So if Charlie and Tiger are ever playing the same tournament, I mean, I am sitting with a beer in my hand in the morning, and I am watching all four rounds of that. 100%. I do not care when. Yeah, I think it's cool, um, just because you you get to see something in someone we grew up watching, which I think is really cool. Um, much like, you know, LPGA Tour, Cheyenne Woods came out for a little bit. Um, I think she, much like Michael Jordan's kid when he went to Illinois, had the eyes of the world upon them. Yeah. And there's no way, in, it, for Charlie too, there's no way you live up to Tiger Woods' expectations. Or, um, not expectations, um, his accomplishments. Yeah. He, there's no way you can live up to it. So I hope he has that mental awareness going in. Obviously, I know he's young and he has so many years to learn. Um, but it is remarkable, but hero world championship. This is where I think his event, he's played it almost every year. This is going to be an event where he, his game really is going to be a focal point. Um, obviously just being tiger, he's going to be a focal point, but I envision this is going to be one of his most technical performances. Um, obviously it's not a PGA tour sanctioned event. Um, so it won't be, if he wins a PGA tour win, unfortunately. Uh, but I think it's going to be a really eye-opening event where it's just him playing versus PNC, which is a scramble. 
and then the match, which I'm not 100% sure of the format yet. This is going to be four days of stroke play. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious on how we'll do in terms of the match. Again, that'll be his third week in a row. I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried he might be a little. That one's going to be cart, though, so. Is that one cart? Okay, all right. So maybe he'll maybe he'll build it. He said he's not taking the cart. Well, sorry, a source close to Tiger Woods uh, was telling reporters that he's not going to take a, a cart for the. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe the, uh, I believe, and I, you can't quote me on the quote, but I think he said babies ride carts or something like that. It was like, I got chills. I'm like, oh, let's go. <laughs> He's, he said something, yeah, where he was, he was talking about how uh, this is, this is a, this is a professional golf event. Nobody rides carts around here. And I was like, oh, yeah. all right. Like he's, you know, he's, he's bringing it. Like Tiger is not yeah. messing around. If you want to know how tough that guy is, watch his 2008 US Open documentary where he was doing Army Ranger School, broke his leg, and then recracked it on the cart path. Um, and then his caddy was like, hey, listen, we should probably quit. You have um, 100 U.S. Opens to play. And he turns to his caddy and he goes, F you. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. Ooh, absolutely. But yeah, so I think in the next three weeks, Hero World Championship, if you can watch it, is the event to watch. Obviously, PNC will be great. Um, and then the match is obviously going to be excellent. It's the four most notorious players in the game, arguably right now. But the hero in terms of what we're doing is going to be the best one to watch. Yeah, I agree. I think that the hero is going to be our best bet. Um, obviously, next week we'll have all, all of our bets and stuff like that for the hero. Uh, the following weeks with the the parent-child and then the, the match, it's going to be a little weird in terms of how we, we route out those. We might be... Game time decision. Little, yeah, we might be doing a little bit of a different podcast, or we might skip a week depending on how those go. Might be something like this. We don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll kind of map it as we go. But this is a strange kind of time frame until they do the century. Uh, right. That's the next. That's the next big one after Hero. Yeah, because they'll go that QBE shootout, which is the two ball. Um, then the real one is the century. Definitely. So, uh, so that'll be the ne- that'll be when we start getting back into the swing of things. We'll go century. We'll go Sony. We'll get. We'll get. We'll get going really strong at that point. But until then, it's going to be a few weeks of kind of um, oddball betting and and a, li- and a little off the beaten path. Yeah. And then, you know, the last thing about Tiger is, you know, 2022, I think is going to be his last big event or a big season. So I envision him playing, you know, eight to 10 events, possibly the AT&T. Um, Genesis, he always tries to play there. Arnold Palmer, players. Um, I could see him going to um, Travelers, maybe, um, possibly the Wyndham, um, but also the Majors, of course. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, are you including those eight to 10 events in the Majors? But Well, I was saving Majors only because, and I want to get your opinion on this too, the conversation of bringing live golfers into the Majors has been a prevalent topic right now. Um, and I didn't know if you had a concrete thought like I do. The the challenge I'm not I'm not entirely imposed to bringing them in, um, and you and again you know more about this point than I do, but I don't think with the way they are currently constructed and their current leadership that they can get brought into majors that way. I think they have to make some changes and be a little bit more willing to take on some of the rulings that the PGA Tour has in place. Yeah, so I want to make one point is the majors aren't PGA Tour sanctioned. So there's problems there. And the other problem that they are running into 
is because they're not getting OWGR points, a lot of their non-Dustin Johnson, Cam Smiths don't have a lot of points to be able to qualify for these events without exemptions. Um, so that's another issue. They can they can do the Monday qualifiers like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I think that there's got there's got to be a system to do it. Maybe they do it where they take the top the, the the previous tournament before the majors. They take the top five guys from live based on previous finishes, and they take those guys into the field. Or they Are you take saying the, plus exemptions like Dustin Johnson? Obviously, he won it, so. Yeah, if you have exemptions, you're in, obviously. But then maybe what you do is you take uh, previous finishes into account. You put those like five or ten guys, and then you create like you include them into the field as an option. And then if they don't choose to go, then you can potentially take the next guy down and work your way. But I, but I don't I don't think you want everybody from live on there. Like, no. I I can't I can't even say his name properly. But like Henry Dup. Duplassier, do yeah. Does he need to be in? The, does he need to be at Augusta? I mean, does he need to take one of those spots? No, I'm sorry. He, I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but like, I'll, I'll take like yeah. Joseph Bramlett instead. Like, at least I know his name a little bit better, and I can pronounce it. Like, yeah, but, I've seen him on tour. Yeah, here's 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 my opinion, and it, obviously, anything that you talk about in this game is going to be controversial. It's kind of like saying if you're a Republican or Democrat or you know whatever the case may be. In my opinion, the live golfers or, you know, the Dustin Johnson's Cam Smith should be a part of the majors. If you're watching a major, it should be the best field in golf at the best, you know, events. It's, it's, that's why they're called a major. Yes. However, the live people, and I'm not just talking about the players and the ownership, the whole live fan base needs to understand that just because Cam Smith may win a major, Dustin Johnson may win a major, they're not instantly the better tour because that's what the conversation will be instead of it being holy crap dustin johnson just won the u.s open you know breaking his two-stroke penalty at uh that was just horrific event but that's my fear is that the conversation will go from winning a major to it being a divisive event and going back to pga tour versus live and not this is the biggest field in golf at the biggest event yeah i think i think if it continues to be as as uh, headbutting as it is, I wouldn't want them on tour because I don't want that to turn into a, a an us versus them every time there's a major. I wanted to kind of bring people together. Um, if, it, if if all it's ever going to be if we if they come to majors is like a is like a us versus the world or or it's going to be some sort of an inside competition to do it. I, I don't I don't need it. I mean the majors have enough excitement as it is. I don't need any extra high school drama in my yeah. person in my personal opinion at these events uh i'm sure it's good for the sport i'm sure it gets people onto espn and i mean every once in a while i'll see guys from like pti and around the horn coveraging it whenever it involves live but it just it just seems so childish yeah and i want to get your opinion on this because this is something that cracked into my head as we were really getting you know our prep for this episode was do you think that maybe not live directly has made this year in golf one of the most anticipated or one of the most talked about. Do you think it brought back a little bit of spark? Because I look at Rory Mackler right now, and I'm like, he's a superstar. I, I think it brought back a spark, but I also think it it's kind of turning people against one another, mm. which I think is a, is, a, is a little bit of a down point. Um, I think part of that is is 
the way society. That, yeah. the way that society's going, but also I think that it, it's the positioning that uh, Greg Norman and Liv kind of wanted to give themselves. They wanted to be this like headbutting uh, opposition, um, whereas I think maybe they could be a little bit more parallel coinciding. Uh, I just I just think it's a little bit divisive and it's a little strong to really kind of put them at the crossroads yeah. where they're going to face one another as opposed to maybe working in, not alongside one another because I know they're not going to ever be like best friends, but working in tandem the same yeah. way that the PGA and the DP a, World a, Tour. Yeah, DP World Tour Asian Tour do. But it's, it's sad because the original and what, you know, every, every live tour, oh, it's trying to grow the game but we're going to make enemies with all the big tours and the biggest fan bases and try to bring it just, it never made sense to me as a true lover of the game of golf and everyone, you know, you can call me old school. You know, I, I, I love the no phones at Augusta. I, you know, we have a buddy, I'll mention this six times said, uh, I would love to see Harry Higgs take a shirt off at Augusta on 16. And I said, I would cry if they did that. Like I I understand I'm old fashioned. Yes. I think the live, needs to go through the qualification they're only a year off of getting owgr points through that route so they can hold out a year then everything can work out in terms of getting those points um it's i think the best players and i think the people with exemptions should make it but like you said dupois should not be invited to the masters just because he's a live golfer yeah i mean i mean if you're finishing like seventh on on live in terms of owgr that's that's great, but we need to f- somehow find a way to standardize it, which I'm sure they're going to do, um, so that we just get the best like 150 guys yeah. in the major. I again, no disrespect to anybody that doesn't make majors. I'm sure you guys are 3,000 percent better golfers than me or any other average golfer in the world, but I just want to see the best guys make it. So, yeah, and it's. It's hard because at the same time, say a live golfer wins. Now they know they're getting in majors. There's probably a couple of events that are going to be open. Like, you know, the DP world tour at one point had an open invitation for some of these events. And it's hard because now they know, Hey, I, I don't have to play the John Deere classic. I'm going to go make a hundred million dollars and play the events. I really want to play. That's my fear. I, I think all of this to kind of full circle this, I think all of this will come into a better chance of happening once Greg Norman gets out as the head of of Liv. Yeah, he's he's a little he's a little too slip long headed and and too much of a figure that's too polarizing for people to want to root alongside his tour. Yeah, I think it. I think you make a great point because I grew up idolizing Greg Norman and his stories of. He was so close each and every time. He was runner-up, runner-up, and then the stories. And then to see him go put a bad taste in my mouth. But then he talked in a lot of interviews, I really want to work with the PGA Tour to develop this. And then as soon as everybody was like, okay, he said, screw the PGA Tour, taking your best guys, then Saudi ownership, we're going to make our own majors. Then it went down the game of golf. And then as he says that, then a week later, he's like, well, the PGA Tour stopped talking to me. I don't know what happened. And it's like, you know what happened, Greg. You know what happened. And yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you know what you not, – not to say what you did, but, like, you know what you did. Like, I'm sure the PGA Tour probably made some mistakes too, but you can't oh, yeah. do what you did and then not anticipate people are going to be thrilled with you. Trust me. I, I, I do understand that PGA Tour is not perfect. Let me just get that out of the way. I'm not trying to sit here and be like, live bad, PGA Tour good. Um, I'm a, You know, I just like the tradition of everything. 
you know, John Deere classic, even obviously it's not the most, you know, notorious event, but I enjoy watching it. And I enjoy watching the guys that come there. And I don't like the fact that they try to compare everything. I, I think about it like this. The PGA tour is a little bit like a boss. I'm sure they have strong points and you have lots of things that you'll disagree with them on, but at the end of it all, they're still your boss. And if you sit there and you go cuss out your boss and they turn around and they're not happy with you, you can't sit there and play some victim card as if you are somehow better. It's, it's, it's just an ugly look. So if Greg Norman gets out of there and you get a fresh face, hopefully they can kind of work a little bit more. The the, stain starts to get removed a little bit. Yes. That is the goal. And I think it's like, if you take a look at, you know, MMA, for example, I know it's a completely different sport than golf. UFC obviously is the biggest event. They have like 47 minor leagues. Like it's so watered down. It's unbelievable. You can't follow it. So that's my fear is like, I don't want this great game of golf to start watering down to where it's, ah, I'm not going to watch Barracuda. I don't care. Yeah. All right. Well, that I think that's a good kind of laying down point. Again, if you have more thoughts in terms of what you want us to talk on, if you want us to expand upon specific topics, please let us know. Um, I, I don't. Otherwise, we could probably talk for five hours just about obscure golf things that we know within the news that most people would be confused on or wouldn't have a clue that was happening. Um, but at this point, then we are taking a week off. It is Thanksgiving week. So everybody enjoy your Thanksgiving. Hopefully you can spend some time with some family and, and those close to you eat Turkey or ham or whatever you eat on Thanksgiving. Uh, I know it's, it's pretty polar. Let me ask you, Jack, are you a Turkey or a ham guy? Um, I'm, I'm a more so Turkey guy. However, I do enjoy a breakfast ham sandwich. That's not, is that, how is that a thing? A breakfast That's a ham political sandwich? correct answer. That's what I'm going with. A, a breakfast ham sandwich, like a deli meat sandwich? Like, what do you mean ham sandwich? No, you take like a like a ham round. Oh, man, like, you're from, up. like from Thanksgiving, you like take a piece off of the ham and you just turn, turn Oh, it no, we do Thanksgiving ham? turkey. Oh, see, we do both. We're a little, you know, we're a little fancy here. We get, we, we get a, a little bit of each, but. That's um, awesome. Yeah, so happy holidays. We'll call it for anybody. I know there's, it's obviously polarizing. So happy holidays. That's true. Um, we'll let you guys know as soon as the hero odds come out. Um, I think it starts December 1st. So hopefully they come out. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. If it's top 10 matchups, we don't really know yet. So as soon as we know, we'll let you guys know. Um, if things changes, obviously hit us up on social media. Twitter is obviously the big one right now. Of course. All right. And we will leave you guys at that. Have a good one. And we will talk soon. Deuces.